Amen. So, um, anyways, as I already mentioned, last week we talked about how God can mold us into people in, of integrity. Pastor Jaron shared with us, and, and how we talked about Daniel and how rather than being molded by Babylon where he lived, rather than allowing the things around him to form him, he, would, he lived as a man of integrity. Um, and, and, and that's what God's calling each of us to do, to live as men and women of integrity. And so we started off last week with a, with a prayer that we prayed together as, as a church from Psalm 119. And we're actually going to do that again. So if you would stand with me um, as we pray together these verses. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his path. You have charged us to keep your commandments carefully. Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. Then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands. As I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So even just reading through this psalm, it begins to lay out a little bit about what integrity is. What does it mean to be a person of integrity? Um, and, and just a few things, and, and we even think of it differently. We don't think of it just as in a worldly way of what integrity means, but what does it mean to live as a Christian with integrity? Uh, I think that's an important question for us. What does it mean to be a Christian who lives with integrity? Um, and just this psalm, a few things it lays out. Christians who, who uh, live with integrity, they follow God's instruction. They're going to follow his instruction. They're going to search for him with all their hearts. Okay, think about this. They're going to search for him. Have you ever thought of that being a part of your integrity? Because as a Christian, I'm saying the two most important things are to love God and love other people. Is my, am, is my life, is in, am I living in such a way that me saying that, I, I, I back it up with the way I live. So part of living as a Christian with integrity is seeking the Lord. I'm not going to compromise with evil, right? That was in there, and I like the word compromise because I think we'd all agree that I'm not going to do evil, but sometimes we can compromise with it. I'm not going to even compromise. I'm going to walk only in his paths. And... and, and to sum up a lot of what integrity is, Christians who live with integrity are authentic, right? They're real. They don't have to pretend. I don't have to come to church Sunday and, and put on some sort of front, or so, I don't have to always try to put my best foot forward with you because even my worst foot is still okay. I live in integrity, okay? So who I am on Monday and Tuesday, if you were there, I wouldn't be ashamed, right? Who I am when no one's looking, 
If you were there, I wouldn't be ashamed. That's what integrity is. Integrity means what you see is just as important as what only I see. But God sees everything. So I I want to be a person of integrity. So as I was studying this word integrity and preparing for this series, I came across a a definition of integrity that has stuck with me. Okay? And it's, it's a word you probably don't use too much, but here it is. It's incorruptibility. That's integrity. Incorruptibility. So we know what corrupt means, right? I mean, when we hear corrupt, we often think of government. We think of, you know, different uh, organizations that get corrupt. But really, what corrupt, what corrupted means is it would be like if you took a word and you corrupted it, what that would mean is you used, when you said that word, it used to mean one thing, now it means something else. It's been corrupted. It's been changed. It's not what it once was. And, and this is what it means to be a Christian with integrity, means I'm not going to be corrupted. I'm not going to be changed. It doesn't just mean I'm going to obey God, but it means, like we just talked about, I'm not going to sway from it, okay? I'm not going to compromise with evil. I'm not going to mess around with the other paths I could go down. I want to live with integrity, which means I want to live for Christ and Christ alone. I don't even want to let a hint in. Of swaying. I don't even want to toy with the idea. And see, what, what, what integrity means is it really goes against something that we're seeing more and more, I feel like, today in the news. And it's this idea of that somehow the end justifies the means. A lot of people believe that. As long as you get the final result you want, it doesn't matter how you get there. Right? As Christians, we, we stand firmly in opposition to that. As people of integrity, we say, the end does not justify the means. Where I end up, how I get there is just as important because I have to stay faithful the whole way through. I want to be a person of integrity. And why is integrity so important? Well, because as we talked about last week, God wants us to be witnesses, but do you know your witness is directly tied to your integrity? Your witness is directly tied to your integrity. Right? Here, here's, what, here's what I mean by that. I, I used to work at Discount Tire. I worked in a garage for, for a season. Um, and uh, it wasn't my favorite job. But one of our bosses, um, one of the bosses there was a, uh, he worked, like he served at a church. I think he was a volunteer youth pastor. And when I first got there, I was like, oh, that's cool, because I met him. And, and he, you know, I was a volunteer youth pastor at the same time. But what happened, well, here's what's happened. This guy began, like, I, I, once I had been there for a few weeks, I, I realized this guy had a reputation. And it wasn't a good reputation, right? This guy's reputation was trying to avoid work at all costs, right? I mean, he would try to dodge work constantly. He was a manager, and I, what I realized, nobody wanted to work under him. Why? Because whenever he would lead your crew, Um, He would always pass off all the work. When he would get frustrated, he would take it out on people. He would curse at times, and then, you know, he'd come back and he'd apologize the next day, and that was fine, but the problem was he never changed. And to be honest, his, his lack of integrity hurt his witness. His lack of integrity actually hurt my witness. Think about that. His lack of integrity hurt my witness because here I am, I'm trying to tell people about Christ in a Christless place. I mean, there, there was really just me and him and one other guy that professed to know Jesus. But his lack of integrity, he was known for being lazy. He was known for trying to dodge work. He was, he was known for really, in a way, almost being deceitful, trying to get around. His integrity impacted his witness greatly. 
And your integrity will impact your witness greatly too, either in a very positive way or a very negative way, right? Your integrity can be one of the greatest reinforcers of the gospel. I mean, as, as people see God working in you and they see that you won't, you won't compromise with evil, you won't sway in the slightest. When you're at your job and everybody takes a shortcut that's wrong but everybody does it and you don't do it, that says something, right? When everybody kind of, you know, adds on to, to, to you, you know, whatever it may be a deal and trying to, trying to get around, um, trying to do things in a way that isn't 100% honest, but it still works, it's easier for you. When you do that, it hurts your integrity. When you don't, when you, when you don't do that, when you say, I'm gonna be a person of integrity, it increases your witness. Um, I had a, <laughs> a funny story. I had a, ki- a kid in my youth group at one time who, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen these fire sticks. Um, There's something that you can stream, you plug into your TV and you can stream, uh, you can stream movies from, right? And it's a really cool device. So listen, I actually use one. Um, you know, that's how we watch our TV. We stream it. But um, you can do something to these things. You can jailbreak them, and you can get every movie, every, I mean, every TV show, you can get it all for free. So one of my kids from my youth group's like, hey, I know how to jailbreak those. You want me to jailbreak one for you? And I'm sitting there, and I'm going, wait a second, man. I can't have a bunch of teens over to watch the movies I stole, Right? <laughs> That's stealing. Now, it seems like a small thing, but to me, that's a big deal. Like, I'm not going to steal movies, watch them with the youth group, and then talk about integrity, right? I can't do that. See, I want to be a person of integrity. It seems like a small thing, but it's a big thing to me because all it takes is one teen to realize, like, hey, he kind of went around the thing, and I have lost my witness, it has impacted my witness. So we, we have to be people of integrity. It's important, but unfortunately, I, I know this to be true, not one of us has, has a perfect track record with integrity. Not one of us has a perfect track record with integrity. I wish we did, but none of us do. In fact, I messed mine up pretty young in life. I don't know, I was maybe four years old or so, or five and I was downstairs, and we had a couch. It, was, it used to be the upstairs couch. It was the downstairs couch. Now, not as important. And uh, uh, in the side of it, the way it was made, it, it was like a material put together. It wasn't leather or something. It would almost like just slide apart when you stabbed it with something. And so that's what I did. So I'm just sitting on the ground here, and I'm just stabbing the side of the couch. And uh, I'm just, you know, it was kind of fun. And my mom comes downstairs, and she goes, uh, Travis, what are you doing? Nothing, right? Nothing, I'm not doing anything. She goes, what's that knife in your hand for? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking, I mean, I just pretended I didn't know. And, and of course, you know, that didn't really hurt my integrity growing up. I'm sure I got a spanking and, you know, I got in a little bit more trouble because I lied. Any other parents that way? If I'd have owned up to it, I would have got in less trouble, but because I lied, it was always a little more trouble. Um, but, you know, I, I lost my integrity, but I was able to regain it pretty quickly. But you know what? There were other times where I hurt my integrity that it took a lot longer to rebuild. 
Uh, for instance, like in high school, I, I, really, I really didn't live for the Lord, and, and not a whole lot of people at my church knew that, but people at my school did. And so when I, when I finally you know, gave my life to Christ and said I'm going to live different now, you know it took a really long time for my witness to have any effect around those people because they'd seen me go to church and live one way for a long time. It had impacted my witness. But what I want to tell you today is this. Guess what? No matter what you've done, no matter where you are, God can help you restore your integrity. God can help you restore your integrity, and it's his desire that it be restored. I mean, like I said, it's so important for our witness, but you know what else? It may not be more important for anyone else than it is for your kids to see that you are a man or a woman of integrity. I mean, as you tell them about Christ, I mean, as you talk to them about the Lord and as you're trying to raise them to know him, the, whether or not you are a man or woman of integrity will reinforce what they believe about God greatly. I mean, I, I can tell you my mom and dad's integrity, they were great people of integrity, and it reinforced that God was real. In fact, there was times in my life when I struggled with do I believe, but because of the way my parents lived, I said, I just know God's gotta be real. I've seen what he's done in my parents' life. I've seen how they live. And so as parents, we have to live as people of integrity. And God wants to help us restore that. And you know, you and I aren't the only ones that have messed it up before. Today we're gonna be talking about a guy named Peter. Um, someone who really messed it up at a certain point, especially regarding his integrity, but God restored so if you don't know much about Peter, just know this. When Jesus walked the earth, he called 12 disciples. Peter was one of them. And Peter was really in the inner circle, okay? Peter was the first one of the disciples to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, okay? That's a big deal. Peter got to go up on the mountain and see Jesus transfigured. He got to see Jesus in his glory. Only three people got to see that. Peter was one of them. Um, and so Peter was solid, Peter was following God. Peter was sincere without a doubt. But guess what? Peter fell. Peter fell. Peter had a, had a breakdown in his integrity. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew 26. That's where we're going to be most of the day. Um, and just where you're picking, uh, we're, we're going to start in verse um, 31. But just to let you know where we've been before we get here. So Jesus' ministry is drawing to a close. Where we're gonna pick up, they had just celebrated what we call the Last Supper. It's the Passover, okay? Um, and Jesus and the disciples had celebrated that, and it had come out that Judas was gonna betray Jesus. The disciples didn't really understand all of what that meant, no doubt. Um, but, but that had come out at dinner, and then they had communion together, and then right after that, they were heading to Gethsemane. And if you know what happened to Gethsemane, that was the very place where Jesus was betrayed, where he prayed before the betrayal happened. And so that's where the story picks up. This is the night Jesus is betrayed as they're on their way to Gethsemane. Verse 31. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter, rep Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. 
So what I want you to notice here real quickly is this. Peter is holding on to his integrity here, and it's an admirable thing, right? Jesus comes, and, and I mean, this would probably be a hard thing to hear. Jesus is saying to you, hey, you're all gonna scatter. You're all gonna leave. And Peter stands up, and he says, listen, all these other disciples might, but even if they all leave you, I won't. I'm not gonna do it. I'm ready to die with you. But Jesus reinforces it, and he says, listen, before the rooster crows, you'll deny that you know me three times. But what I wanna point out to you here real quickly is this. Jesus sees Peter's failure coming, and he hasn't given up on Peter yet. Think about that. Jesus sees Peter's failure coming, but he doesn't give up on Peter. In fact, he gives him the plan for restoration afterwards. See, sometimes, I, I want to stop you for a minute, because sometimes we think we've messed up so bad that we've surprised God, and God would never take us back. But guess what? When God took you in the first place, he knew. It doesn't make it right, okay? We can admit that doesn't make it right, but here's the thing. God loved you even, when he, even before you did it. He knew it was going to happen. He loved you. He still loves you now. He wants to restore you, and he's put out a way for you to be restored. And see, that's what, he, that's what he's doing for Peter now. He sees the denial coming, and he says, but afterwards, he, he, he says, I want you to, I want you to, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. I want to meet with you after this happens. And so Peter, he's holding on to his integrity, but fast forward a few hours, Jesus has been arrested. He's been betrayed, okay? He, the, the, they've got the council together, and they're trying to find a false witness to, they're trying to find a witness that will lie about Jesus that will, um, that will they, so they could get some kind of charges to stick against him, okay? Because they're tired of Jesus. He's been changing things up. He's, he says he's the Messiah, and finally they got him to admit that and say, I'm the son of God. And after he did that, um, they, they start to beat him. And while this is taking place, our story picks up in verse 69. So all this is going on with Jesus it says this, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. The whole story starts with Jesus, or Peter going to the courtyard, going close to where Jesus is. He's wanting to be there, and, and a servant girl asks him. A Peter says, or a servant girl says, you were also with Jesus. And instead of Peter just flat out denying it, well, here's, what does he say? He says, I don't know what you're talking about. That's how it starts. 
He says, I don't know what you're talking about. But then another girl comes up to him, and she starts saying things to others around her. And she says, you must have been with Jesus. And Peter takes it a step further. Okay, so he started off saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Then he takes it a step further. He says, I don't know the man. He doesn't say, I don't know Jesus. He says, I don't know the man. Doesn't even use his name. And he says it with an oath. Now this oath, they they believe, was something like you would use in court, like saying, trust me, I do not know the man. Okay, charge me if I'm lying. But following that, there were some more people who said, listen, your accent, you sound like him. You come from the same area. You have to have been with him. To which Peter takes it to the final step. More than just an oath, he begins to call down curses on, his, on himself as he yells out, I don't know the man. And as he did this, he invoked a curse on himself, which essentially means this. May God strike me dead if I'm lying. I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. I've, I've never met him before. I don't know this man. And may God strike me dead if I'm lying. This is what he did. This is what Peter, the, the rock, this is what Peter, the guy who was on the mount, he gets in this moment and he denies that he even knows Jesus. But if we're honest, the progression he went through has been a little too familiar in my own life at times, right? He didn't just jump into flatly denying him. He went along, he followed him. He began by saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And before he knew it, the thing he said he would never do, he did. He slid into it. He didn't want to end up there. He didn't want to deny Jesus, but he slid into something he never wanted to do. And that's, that's, what, that's how sin happened in my life. I didn't just wake up one day and become the person I never wanted to be. But I got there one small compromise after another, right? I mean, if Peter would have just said up front, I was, as this girl said, hey, you must have been with him. It was just a servant girl. He could have stood up for himself, I think. But as it, got, as it grew, it got harder and harder and harder. As the more and more people are aware of the fact that he must have been with Jesus. And, and even though he said he's ready to die with him, he obviously wasn't, right? He wasn't ready to die because it was probably that fear of death that held him back from, from saying the truth, saying that, yes, I know Jesus. Yes, he's the son of God. They were looking for witnesses. He could have been a witness and said, I watched him heal. I watched him do that. But instead, he did the very thing he never wanted to do. How about you? See, I've done the very things at times I never wanted to do. Things I said I'll never do, I've done. And it began, like I said, with just a small slide down that way, and I believe Peter went out and wept bitterly because Peter saw the Judas in himself. Other than Judas, none of the disciples denied Jesus on the level that Peter did, at least that we know. Yeah, everybody scattered, but he denied him with an oath. He called down curses upon himself. And how do you respond when you see the Judas in yourself? When, when you've gone too far, when you've, when you've done something you know you shouldn't have done and you never wanted to do, and guess what? It's messed up your integrity. It's messed up your integrity, right? And that's exactly what's happened for Peter. Peter. Now how could Peter come back 
and be the one to lead the church? How could Peter come back to be the one to lead the disciples? That's what Jesus was talking about, Peter. You're gonna lead these people, but when, when push came to shove, Peter crumbled. His integrity crumbled. And that's a hard place to come back from, but here's the question. What does that mean when, when you crumble? Does it mean it's over? When you, re, when you totally lose your integrity? And now, I wanna tell you, not every failure is as big as this one, right? But even the first denial was bad, right? Even the first denial when he said, well, I don't know what you're talking about. When we just continually put our faith on the shelf so that I don't have to deal with the problems, that I, don't want, I don't want my faith to come out, I don't wanna have to deal with what others might think about me. Or when we take those little shortcuts that I said that it's like, it, it benefits me, it's not good for other people, but it benefits me, everyone else is doing it, I'll do that. Those things impact our integrity too. So you might say, well, I've never denied Jesus like that. And, that, and good, but you know what? Every one of us has compromised our integrity at one point or another. So what happens there? How do you come back from that? Well, I wanna tell you this. Jesus is in the business of restoring people. And Jesus is in the business of restoring people's integrity. See, because this is where the, the story takes a major turn. The story takes a major turn. Peter ends in failure. I mean, where we've just left off, he ends in major failure, but Jesus isn't done with him. See, Jesus saw it was gonna happen, like we mentioned earlier, and Jesus already is planning on restoring him. And so where you're at today, if there's an area of your life that's compromised, a lot of times what we can do is we can put a separation between us and God and say, like, I just don't know how God could forgive me when Jesus is literally on the other side waiting ready to restore us. He wants to. He wants you to help you take the next step. So how do we renew our integrity with God's help? How do we do it? Well, there's four things I think that are laid out in some of these passages and how re Jesus restored Peter. And the first one is this. It's just remove the sin, right? It's remove the sin. God wants to restore you to integrity. God wants to restore your integrity, but until the very thing that you've done that broke it until you get rid of that, you, cannot, you can't restore it, right? You can't restore it. So if, if, for instance, if I had taken this fire stick that was hacked and I'd been watching all these movies, yeah, it'd be great to, for us all to talk about how God wants to restore my integrity, but until I stop stealing movies, I can't begin the rebuilding process, right? I gotta stop stealing the movies so that God can begin the restoring process with me. Well, the same goes for Peter. He can't continue to deny Jesus, okay? He's gotta remove the sin. Whatever it is for you, maybe you've already removed it, that's great, but if you haven't, you've gotta deal with that, and removing the sin, it's a two-part thing. One, it's saying, I I'm done with this, I'm turning from this, I'm not gonna do this anymore, but the second part of it is doing what Peter did and returning to Christ. So don't just get rid of the sin and hope Christ forgives you, go back to him. Go back to him, return to him. And now while in the story there's no specific time that we you know, have written down the words of Peter's confession, it's implied all throughout the story. Right? right after it happened, when the rooster crowed, it's like the light turned on and he went out and he wept bitterly. He didn't deny Jesus anymore. And you know what, when Jesus came back, he swam to Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. He, he went to him. So we know that one, Peter wasn't planning on denying Jesus again. 
And two, he returned to the one who could restore it. So this is the first step, remove the sin. And all of these steps, I forgot to mention this, all of these steps are something that you have to do and that God has to help you do. Every single one of them works together, okay? They really do, and you're gonna see that as we go through, but the first thing is remove the sin. You've gotta confess it, but if we're honest, some of the sins, the reason they're ruining our integrity is because we're struggling to overcome them. That's why they're ruining our integrity. It's because it's not we did it once, but it's something, maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something that's got a hold on us. Maybe it's a character thing we've just allowed to continue. And God wants, to, God wants you to remove that, but you know what? You're gonna have to confess it. You're gonna need his help. And sometimes, depending on what you're struggling with, you're gonna need accountability. I don't, know what, I don't know what you're struggling with, but if you've got some sort of secret thing going on or you've got some deep struggle, it, it, you know what? Yeah, you've got to confess it. You've got to turn from it. But if you've done that and you keep falling into it and you're asking God for help, get some accountability, right? Get somebody you can trust. Open up to them. Someone who won't judge you, but someone who's going to extend God's grace to you and help you stay accountable. Because you've got to remove the sin. It's got to get out of there. It's got to get out of there to restore your integrity, to restore that peace. We talked about a few weeks ago how the peace that comes from God, it, it goes away when, we've, when we're, we stuck, we're stuck in sin. So you work with God and, and, and work with others as well. Like I said, for some of these things, you might have to. But we remove the sin. So um, after that, we're going we're gonna to actually pick up now in, in the restoration conversation that Jesus has with Peter. It's in John 21. That's where the other three steps come in um, for restoring your integrity. And uh, where we're picking up here is Jesus has been back. Um, and in this passage, the disciples are out fishing and Jesus shows up on the shore. And as soon as Peter realizes it's Jesus, he, he jumps in the water, he swims to Jesus. They eat, they have breakfast. And then where we jump in is there's a conversation that Peter has with Jesus where I believe the restoration that God wanted to have with him was completed, and that uh, they, Peter was able to move on from this point in his life. So the, uh, let, let's jump in and let's read. It's John 21, verses 15 to 17. Here's what it said. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Simon being another name for Peter, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Now I want you to notice real quickly with me that the first question Jesus asked was different than the other two. What's different about it? All three times Jesus asked Peter, he says, do you love me? But the first time he says, do you love me more than these? Do you truly love me more than these? And I don't know about you, but right when I read that, it takes me back to what Peter said in Matthew, right? In, in chapter 26, what we read already, when they're, when they're on their way to Gethsemane, and he says, Everybody's gonna, every one of you is gonna desert me. And what does Peter say? He doesn't just say, I won't. He says, even if all of these guys do, I won't. 
Even if everybody else deserts you, I won't do it. And I think Jesus asked this question to Peter because he brings that right to the forefront, forefront saying, Peter, do you really love me more than these? And I love how Peter responds. See, Peter responds, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't say, yeah, I love you more than them. He says, Jesus, you know that I love you. See, that failure has probably in a good way humbled Peter. But you know what? After this, Jesus moves on. That's the closest reference you will find to that failure from Jesus in the scripture. You're not gonna find it anywhere else. This promise he made, this re restoration, I mean, all of this, Jesus sums up right here. He says, do you truly love me more than these? He deals with the past, and then he lets it go. And guys, this is, this is, the, first, this is the first step into restoring, to restoring your integrity after you remove the sin. You gotta remove the sin, but here Jesus brings it in, and you've gotta release the past. You have to release your past. For some of us, sins we did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we feel like they still define us. Like we can't let these moments go. And we think that any time we make a mistake, God maybe wants to hold that over our head. That's not how God works. God wants to restore your integrity. He doesn't want you to live in shame. But what we have to do is we have to allow God to forgive us and let the past go. We can't hold on to it forever. God doesn't want to rub it in. I love it. He, he, he doesn't give Peter some long speech about how you should have done better, how I told you you were going to do that, right? Sometimes we like to give those I told you so speeches. He doesn't do that. Peter's returned. He's, he's removed the sin. Jesus says he addresses it briefly, and they move on. You've got to let the past go. You cannot restore your past integrity. I want you to think about this. Sometimes we, we get hold, so held up on things we did. You know what? You can't change it. And, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there's some things in all of our past we probably like to change. You can't change it. But God can change you. And see, this is the whole thing about why we can't live in the past. Do you understand, are you familiar with the teaching uh, uh, that Christianity, one of the teachings Christianity centers around, that when you come to Christ, you are born again. Do you understand what it means to live as a new creation? Really, think about this with me. Some of us are held down by the past and, 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 it, and it still bothers us. We still feel the weight of past sins. When Jesus says, if, says you must be born again, and later on in, um, in the New Testament, First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, one of them, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. Hey, further, Paul talks about it again. He says, you gotta put on the new self. Okay, you put off the old. And, and the reality is this, your past sins do not define you. That doesn't have to be your defining moment. Maybe you had a really bad moment. Maybe you've had several. Maybe there's been something you're stuck in. You know what? That sin does not have to be your refining moment, it, defining moment. That's what Jesus is all about. It's about changing that. And, and I love how he goes on in this passage, and what does he do? He doesn't just ask Peter the question once. He goes on and he, and he asks Peter if he loves him three times because he wants to restore his present. He wants to restore his present and he wants to change Peter's defining moment from being denial to a, 
affirming his love for Christ. Think about this. Three times he denied Jesus. Three times Jesus has him affirm his love for them. Whatever you did doesn't have to be who you are forever. Your present right now today can be changed and can be defined by you saying, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I'll serve you. Jesus, I'll put you first. I thought of the song we sang, I'm a good, good father. And it just, it just talks about, hey, I'm loved by you, Jesus. That's who I am. That's who I am. See, Jesus wanted to restore his present and release the past so that he could reclaim his future. See, this is the fourth thing. Because what can happen is when we have a time when we've lost our integrity, we can feel like that's ended maybe what God wants to do in us or do through us. But God takes all these steps, right? God reaching out to us, us working with him, where he, he helps us to remove the sin. He helps us to release the past. He helps us to restore the present so that today who I am is defined by who God says I am and my love for him. That's who defines me. All of this working together reclaims your future. Some of our past sins we feel like have changed the trajectory of our life. Some sins feel that way. Sometimes we feel like I'll never be who God wanted me to be. I'll never end up where he wanted me to be. I've become a different person. But when you come to Christ, he wants to take your future and he wants to give it back to you. And, and listen to how he finishes this passage in John. It's one of the weirdest encouragements I've ever heard, but he, I believe that's what he's doing. He's encouraging, he's encouraging Peter. Um, let's continue in verse 18 of John 21. Here's what it says. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Follow me. I love, I love how he ends this passage. What was Peter's failure? Jesus, even if I have to die for you, I will never deny you. What did he do? Denied him. What does Jesus say about his future? Obviously, I'm not saying all of us want this for our future, but here's what he's saying to Peter in essence. Peter, you promised that you would live your life in such a way that even if it meant death, you would never deny me. And guess what? That's true. That's who you are. You're not gonna be defined by this denial. You're gonna be faithful to the end. And that's exactly what Peter did. Peter went all the way up to the end. He didn't deny Jesus. He was faithful. And church tradition tells us he was crucified for it. And church tradition tells us that he, was, he, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified the way that my Lord was. So he was crucified upside down. Peter was not defined. His future was not changed because of his failure. Jesus reclaimed it. He took it, and you know what? Even though he had fell, Jesus, I love it. He says to him, that's not who you're gonna be. That's not who you're gonna be remembered for. So now, think about where you're at. Think about 
my, I think about myself. Think about the past failures and how you could let the, the weight of that maybe hold you down and think that God wants to change your future. I'm telling you, Jesus would speak right into it and say that failure is not who you are. That's not gonna be your defining moment. Come to me. Let me speak into you. Let me give you your defining moment. Who you are is gonna be who I say you are because I love you. You're gonna be defined by your love for me, not your failure. See, when we come to Jesus, he wants to restore all of that. He wants to restore your integrity. Jesus wants you to have a witness. He wants you to be someone he can count on. He wants... He wants all of this for you, and you can have it. It's all yours if you just would come to him today and allowing him to change whatever it is. Maybe, 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 like I said, it's something that's been lingering for a while, and you just need to get an accountability partner. I'd encourage you to do that. Maybe it's just your past. Maybe you've been walking with God. You haven't, you, you, you've, you've changed, but you know, you just feel the weight of that. You feel that shame. It's like that shame is ever present with you. It's like you feel like you could slip back into being that person. God wants to help you release the past, right? Some of you maybe feel like it's because of what you did in the past. Like, yeah, God will accept me, but it's just going to be different now. I think Peter probably felt that when he first saw Jesus. Like, I wonder if things are going to be different now. But that's not how it was. See, Jesus wants to bring full restoration. And I got to see a picture of that a few years ago. Um, this, I'm just gonna share this last little illustration and we'll be done, but it brought it home to me in a way that I'd never, I don't know, I hadn't grasped it in this way before. A few years ago, I went to a conference uh, at another church was hosting, and um, it was it was just a great it was a, just a great time of prayer and worship and teaching together. And every day when you would walk in, there was there was this guy who was greeting people. The the, the church that hosted it, they had all their people greet. This the, some of the people took off work to greet us, and this guy had a big smile on his face all the time. You know those type of people who, when they smile at you, you almost feel guilty not to smile back. You know what I'm talking about? There's those kind of people because their smile's infectious. And that's, that was this guy, and he would shake your hand, and he would wave, and uh, every day I saw him. And, and it, was just, it was just so good to see him. He would almost brighten your spirits. Well, um, on the last, the last day of the conference, the last sermon they had um, was talking about a lot of stuff similar to what we've been talking about today about how God can restore, and about how um, no matter how far someone's wandered from God, their story's not over. And they ended with what, uh, what's like, what would be called like a cardboard testimony. Have you ever seen those before? And so on, on these, what, what happens with these cardboard testimonies is on one side, instead of people coming up and sharing their testimony, they walk out with a few words um, that would have defined who they were before Christ, Right? So this is, this is who I was before Christ. Um, this was, these were some of the words that defined me. And then they flip it over, and on the other side, it talks about who they are now because of what Christ has done, because of how Christ restored them. And I'm, it is a powerful time just to see. I would love it if I could see everybody in this room, if I could just see your, your cardboard testimony. Just in a few words, this is who I was before Christ, but this is, this is who I am now. Well, I noticed that as they were going, one of the guys in line that was coming out, it was the man that was greeting me every day. And uh, I was like, oh, hey, it's that guy. And I, 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 don't, I think I even talked to someone next to me and said, look, here he is. 
But as he stepped out, here's what his sign said. You ready? I don't know if you can see it up here. Can you read that? 17-year addict, suicidal thief. Now, I'd walked past this guy, I'd shook his hand every day, and that's not who I thought that man was. You can see he's crying here. He's in tears. That's not who I thought that man was. But you know what? Everybody who knew him from his past, if somebody was to come up from his past and see him, that's probably exactly who they think he was. Because they didn't know what Christ had done in his life. Because when he flipped that over, I just want to give you a picture of restoration. Here's what it says. Saved, seven years clean, has every key to the church. This guy worked for the church. He had every key to the church. He had the key to the pastor's office. He had the key to where they keep the money. He had the key. It doesn't matter. He had the key. Now here was a guy whose life was defined by addiction, by stealing. But here he is. God's totally restored him. And that's not who he is anymore. And you know what? This is exactly what we're talking about today. I'm going to have Christine come up, and we're actually, she's going to just play something for us, but we're actually going to have a time of response right here at our seats. But I want you to think about your cardboard testimony as we close. Maybe you want to write it down. But I want you to think about what's present right now. What's present right now? Maybe your cardboard testimony is complete. You could say, this is who I was, this is who I am. And I hope that it'll bring you to a point of just praising God, thanking him for what he's done in your life. Right, just like this guy, he was in tears just thinking about who he used to be. You go, sir, man. But for yourself, maybe there's some things that if you had to write it on the side, like this is who I am currently, it might not, there might be some things that you wanna change. You know you can do that this morning. Maybe there's some things in your life that you know you say, I can't flip my board over completely because there's some things I haven't allowed God to change. There's some things I haven't allowed God to restore. And God wants to bring, he wants to bring you to a place of total restoration with him, with your integrity. And you know what? That you can be just like this man, not defined by your past. You don't have to be. And so today, we're gonna take a few minutes and I just want you to reflect on that. Just at, your, at your, where you're at. If you wanna come to the altar, you can. But just taking a look inward and saying, what's my cardboard testimony? And if there's something maybe that you need to say, God, I, I need you to reclaim this. God, I need you to restore this. Or God, I, I know you've forgiven me, but I've been holding on to my past. I need to let it go today. Won't you do that? So you, like I said, you can come, you can pray at your altars. Let's just, we're just gonna take a couple minutes of prayer, just in silence. I'll close this in a word and we'll be out of here. But don't let this time pass you by with the Lord. Let's pray.
as we come and we reflect, Lord, on how you've worked in our lives, how you've restored us. Lord, it's humbling. We thank you, God, for your work in our lives. And Father, if there's any here today, Lord, who said there's some things I need to give to God right now, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just help them. Lord, give them strength. God, to remove the sin and release the past, God. Lord, that you can restore their present, reclaim their future. God, wherever we are, Lord, each of us, God, would you just help us to do that? Lord, we don't want to be defined by our past, but we want to be defined by who we are in you. Help us to see that, God. And Father, help us to live as men and women of integrity. Lord, we want to be witnesses Lord, that bring honor to your name. Lord, we want to be people who you can trust, who you can count on. So, Lord, we give this time to you, and we thank you for how you've worked. Lord, we ask as we prepare for the benediction and prepare to go, Lord, that you would take this message, write it on our hearts, God. And, Father, let us be the people you're calling us to be. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just a few more announcements before we dismiss uh, this morning. Um, the first is that a lot of you may remember uh, we've been praying for Owen Johns. He's a, a child that comes to our daycare, and he's had a pretty rough go of it the past uh, month or so. He was in Riley on life support, um, and we've been praying for him. But he's just doing so much better. God's really been working in that situation and healing Owen. He is off life support, and we just can we just give God thanks for that this morning. God's really been um, working in that situation. Uh, we wanted you to know about an event that's coming up here uh, on Saturday from 6 to 8. It's a, pork, uh, a pulled pork benefit that's hosted by Kids First Day, uh, Daycare for Owen Johns and his family. Uh, and if you'd like to be a part of that, if you would just see uh, Gage or Tiffany at the, t the pink table out here in the gym, tickets are $10 for that benefit, um, and you're welcome to see them, or the tickets are available all throughout the week in the church office. Um, so we'd love to see you there. Uh, this Saturday, 6 to 8, uh, to benefit the Johns family. Also, want to let you know about something. This will be available uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. It's a Lent devotional, and this uh, is a 40-day devotional that will walk you through the book of Luke. So if each and every one of us in this room went through this devotional, as a church, we will have read through the book of Luke by the end of the Lenten season. So it's a really cool uh, thing that we want to get in your hands. There's devotionals in there that have been written by different people in this congregation um, from all different age groups. It's just a great, great thing that you want to get your hands on. So those are going to be handed out to you at the end of the service as you walk out this morning. Um, so if you'll just stand with me as we read this morning's benediction. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. You are dismissed.